All right, it's on page 951, Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Let's pray, and then we'll look into this word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this wonderful passage that shows us the depth of Christ's humility. Please help us to hear you speak clearly today, and may we be transformed by the things we hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, one day when I was at uni, um, I was sitting at the great court with a friend and he, he turns and asks me this question, what's the difference between humility and lying? Um, it's actually, he goes on to explain that if you're, if you're genuinely good at something, uh, but you try and play it down, trying to be humble, is, isn't that just being dishonest? I don't know, it's a bit of, is that a bit of a thought-provoking question? I found it pretty difficult to answer right away. Um, I think, particularly in Australia, um, now our current culture in Australia is very different to the time Paul wrote uh, this letter to the Philippians. That time um, was a culture where humility wasn't seen as a good thing. It wasn't a great virtue. It was actually the no- a negative thing. It was a time where the norm was to seek honour to try and promote yourself and climb in social status. This passage today talks a lot about the importance of humility among the community of believers and was extremely countercultural at that time. Whereas today in Australia, it, it might seem a lot less countercultural. Humility is seen as a positive character trait. Um, and in Australia in particular, we're actually known for having a, what's like a, a tall poppy syndrome, a sort of phrase where we, we actually might cut each other down if someone seems a bit too arrogant or a bit thinks too much of themselves with the intention of keeping everyone humble, keeping everyone on the same, on the same level. But I think getting back to that question my friend asked me at the beginning, this sort of culture, it creates a very strange idea of what humility is. Um, you might actually relate to occasions where you, you might see someone or you might be guilty of it yourself of trying to be humble, um, but in this sort of strange 
disingenuous way where people can try to pretend to think less of themselves, pretend to think less of their abilities, when they might genuinely actually be quite accomplished at something. All for the sake of avoiding this tall poppy syndrome, for the sake of um, yeah, this feigned humility or humble bragging, saying things like, oh, it was no big deal, I'm sure you could have done better when someone's really accomplished or done something very impressive. So even in a culture where humility is seen as a good thing, I think we can often get it wrong, what it looks like. Aussie humility can be about pretending to think less of yourself so that other people will praise you rather than cut you down. I think biblical humility is very different to that, very different to that. And today we're going to look at the the kind of humility we really should be trying to show as followers of Christ. Um, But before we explore what humility looks like, I think the first thing that's helpful to do is actually think about why it's so important as Christians. Why is humility actually helpful to us as Christians? So back at the passage, Steve helpfully summarised a little bit about chapter 1, leading up to where we're up to now. Um, And and chapter 1 ends with Paul encouraging the the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, stand firm and and to be fearless even when they're persecuted as they live for Christ. Now, in the opening verses of chapter 2, Paul encourages the Philippians to be unified in their lives, telling them that if they follow Jesus, they have to have the same mind, the same love and humbly look out for one another. Uh, Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, in in these verses, Paul is writing to a people who he knows have received Jesus. Uh, You can see in chapter 1 how encouraged he is by the way they're living out their faith. So chapter 2, verse 1, here when Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, when he says, if you have any comfort from His love, any sharing in the Spirit and tenderness in compassion, it's it's a rhetorical if. These people are expected to have these things. You could phrase it more like this, since you have encouragement from being united in Christ, comfort from His love, since you share in the Spirit and have tenderness and compassion, be like-minded and have the same love. Paul is saying that it is expected that Christians be united, unified in their love and their mindset as people who follow Christ. So those who follow Christ should have a unified mind. And this, this next part is critical. To have that kind of unity, it's only possible if we live with Christ-like humility. You see, as humans, we all are inclined to self-justify, right? Uh, Try to remember a time where you've had an argument with someone uh, and you've gone away from it and convinced yourself that you're completely completely righteous, completely justified and right in everything you're saying, the other person's totally wrong. It's not hard to do. 
to fall into that trap. But on the other hand, think of a situation where you've been a neutral third party and you've seen another people's argument, um, two people who are convinced they're right, but when you're not actually directly involved, you can see actually maybe both sides have something to say and both sides might be wrong or self-centered in some way. A pretty particularly clear example is when you see young children going to their parents or getting in trouble after a fight and they blame each other. So he started this, he did this, she did this. And you can clearly as an adult see that they both had a big role in escalating their conflict with one another. But we do it as adults too. We're in just the same, just the same problem. We're naturally blind to our own tendency to be self-righteous, self-justified. And if we stay blind to our self-righteousness, we'll never be able to love one another and serve Christ as a unified body. We'll continue to be indignant. Humility is essential to be unified. Now, thankfully, the gospel really does enable us to let go of any need to be self-righteous, to be justified. We See, we, we know because of the gospel that we're sinful. We know we fall short. We don't need to avoid acknowledging that. We know that in Christ, we're also forgiven and made righteous before God. And that can be liberating. And so it can free us from the need to, to, to justify ourselves at every turn and instead put others' needs before our own. So that's the, that's the first reason humility is so important. Um, it enables unity. I think the second reason, though, is is actually even more so important in a lot of ways. And it's simply because that's what Christ's mindset was. On the cross, Jesus demonstrated the most supreme, perfect act of humility as he submitted to the Father. As his followers, as people who are to bring the message of Jesus to the world, um, or if we look forward to verse 14, the way Paul words it is, so that we can shine among the world like stars in the sky as we hold firmly to the word of life. If we're to do that, we have to follow Christ's example. Uh, look at verse 5, he says, it's as simply as this, in your relationships one another, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that instruction is then followed by these beautiful verses that we sung earlier, of Jesus' humility in, in verses 6 to 11. If we profess to be living for Christ, we must grow, seek to grow in His likeness. So, those are the two reasons why humility is so central to how we treat one another as followers of Jesus. What we're going to do now is then is look at dispelling this Aussie idea of, of humility being a sort of false false modesty, and look at more detail at Jesus' example, that beautiful example, most perfect humility ever displayed, and explore how that should be what unifies and shapes the way we live and act together as His followers. Okay, so the first point about humility is valuing others above yourself. Look at verse 3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, that doesn't seem too complex, I should hope. It's not a, shouldn't be a revelation, but I think it's more nuanced than we often think because 
we don't often do it very well. In the same way we're all prone to self-justification, we're also all prone to a selfish ambition of seeking to benefit ourselves in a way that can come at the expense of others. And we see that right, right back from the beginning. We see it at the Garden of Eden, where God tells Adam not to eat the fruit of the tree, lest he surely die. And yet Adam eats it. Why? Well, because the serpent said to him and Eve that when they eat the fruit, they would be like God. Now, I think we all subconsciously, just like Adam, our ancestor, in different ways in our lives, seek to be like God for ourselves. Let me give some examples. When we, for example, put money first in our lives, it can be any idol, money or greed, but let's say money or greed, what are we really trying to do when we put that first? Um, Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he suggests that at the root of, of any sort of idol like that, we're grasping at, at, at potentially one of four things, seeking to gain control through money, comfort through money, um, seeking to gain power or seeking to gain respect. You know, if, if, we, if you're seeking wealth above all else, chances are that you're looking for one, of the, one or all, a combination of those things. But if we trust that God is truly powerful and that He's in control and that He cares for us, well, we don't need to seek those things in wealth. And we can, we can treat career the same way or social influence and relationships the same way. If you, I think often when we say hurtful or manipulative things to other people, that comes out of the same desire to be controlling, to gain power over others. So much of the idols and sin in our lives, I do think boils down to us wanting to have more power, control, comfort, because we don't trust God in these things. And we'd rather trust ourselves. But what did Jesus do? Look at verse 5 to 7. Paul says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. See, Jesus didn't seek to make himself equal with God, but was obedient. He submitted to the Father's will, took on the nature of a servant. And now that's, that is incredible because Jesus is the only one who actually could rightfully try to gain equality from God, and yet he's the only one who doesn't. As we read in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says he came not even, even among men, he came not to be served, but to serve, became a servant, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's one quick point of clarification I want to make about these verses, particularly verse 6. It says there that it's very clear that Jesus is in very nature God. Uh, and when it says he made himself nothing and a human likeness, it doesn't mean that he ceased being God in nature. I just need to make that distinction. 
Because we see, we see very clearly in Jesus' ministry that even though he was servant-hearted, he was very blunt, very direct and open about who he was, what he came to do and what he could do. Uh, in John 14, for example, he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him. Sorry, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So when it says that Jesus made himself nothing, it's nothing like the false modesty we sometimes think of as humility. It's not playing down who he is. It was his choice that even while having ultimate authority, he chose to serve others. I think C.S. Lewis puts the idea, I'm trying to get across very succinctly this way. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Did you catch that? True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not denying or minimizing the gifts you have, but choosing to put others first and serve them with those gifts. I think, I think the amazing thing about that is, is when you think of others first, it just works wonders for our hearts. It just helps us get out of that self-justifying thing and I hope you've experienced that. It's, it's, it, it's helpful for us. So let's be challenged. Think more about how we can grow in, in consciously choosing, and choosing because it's not going to happen by accident, to value others above ourselves as Christ did. So that's the first point. Second point of humility, uh, and this is a progression on that first point, and it's that humility is to meet other people where they're at. What do I mean by that? If we do acknowledge our gifts, as we've been talking about, our God-given gifts and abilities, if we, if we acknowledge them with openness while trying to serve and value other people, there are naturally times where there'll be a mismatch between our gifts and others. Some people will give more gifted in some areas, and vice versa. Uh, for example, for example, I'm not a doctor, and if I was to talk to a trained medical practitioner, they could choose to explain things to me in a way that I really could not understand very well, using the language and, and things of their trade that... Um, that really elevates their own knowledge, shows the distinction between what they know and what I don't know, um, elevates their knowledge in that particular field and alienates me. On the same hand, the same doctor could also choose to communicate in a way that uses language that is accessible, that I can understand, that accommodates for what I, what, what I know as someone not trained that way, uh, without compromising the accuracy of what they're saying. And we can all do that. Um, I'm sure you've all experienced the difference between having a, well, maybe not all, but if you've had several doctors, there are good, better doctors at doing that and worse. And it makes a big difference when someone explains things clearly in a way that's considerate for where you're at. Um, and that can happen with any of us. Any of us who have a particular gift and a particular field of knowledge or skill or a certain position of authority... So it's important to make sure that when we're using our gifts to serve one another, 
It's not done in a way that denies the gifts we have, no, but, but also that we don't do it in a way that creates a barrier, that alienates one another. Verse 4, Paul says that um, when we value others before ourselves, we do it not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of the others. How can we meet others where they're at, trying not to compare, not in a way that alienates or creates barriers, but in a way that accommodates one another, looks to one another's interests? Again, I think Jesus' example is the most incredible and helpful one here, where it says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus, who we've already said is in very nature God, eternal, all-powerful, completely beyond our ability to know or understand, he chose to meet us where we're we're at, being made in human likeness revealing something of God's nature to us in a way we can understand. God didn't hold His infinite knowledge above us and demand that we try to understand Him on His level. No, He accommodated for us. He came to meet us where we're at and through Jesus fully reveals the truth about Himself. That God is love and that He loves us self-sacrificially even to the point of death on the cross. And you see that when you look all through Jesus' ministry, the way he would meet with sinners, tax collectors, um, the way he says in Matthew 11, 29, to come and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus shows us what God is like in a way that we can see, understand. And he showed us that not only by becoming human, but by taking on the nature of a servant to all and dying on the cross. I think an easy example of how we can do this, how we might already try and do it, is is when having conversations with children. Um, Sometimes kids can ask pretty challenging questions, especially when they're that, like, questioning phase. I remember once my niece asked me, how do trees grow? And I was like... Don't know how to answer that. <laughs> so, and sometimes you can help them. You can help them, engage with them, give answers. Uh, but you just have to put a lot more thought into the way you, you do it. If I was to walk straight out of one of my lectures at QTC on, on Greek and then come into a KPC kids session and just speak word for word what I've been learning, I don't know if it would be very helpful. But does that mean that it's not worth putting the time and effort into doing kids ministry well no of course it doesn't you see we can all subtly fall into dangers of being like that in all of our conversations and each of us have different areas where we can be prone to doing that so how can we be considerate of those who are serving and meet each other wherever they're at just as jesus does so profoundly for us okay final point the passage today is known for the, um, the really incredible way it paints Christ's humility on the cross. Um, 
but also the way that that humility is contrasted with his exaltation at the end, right? It describes the way he made himself nothing in human likeness and then humbled himself further to the cross. All before it says, though, in in 9 to 11, that therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I mean, these verses, all these verses, 6 to 11, it's so amazing what you have packaged in there. You have this picture of Jesus' eternal existence with God and his, the fact that He is God in nature, down to His incarnation as a human. Then you also look, it looks forward to His exaltation that is coming when, we'll, when, when He'll be acknowledged by all to the glory of God. There's a lot of amazing theology looking backwards and forwards at the nature of who Jesus is. As I was writing this though, I think in the context of this passage, where Paul's writing to the Philippians, to, telling them to act with humility, to have the same mindset as Christ in their relationships with one another, in that context, what do we make about these verses about Jesus' exaltation? What are, what are we actually supposed to model from this particular part of Jesus' life? Being exalted to the highest place, granted the name above every name, that's something clearly unique and magnificent about him. And don't get me wrong, they're wonderful verses. We wouldn't want them not to be there. They fill us with joy at Jesus and who he is, and they give glory to God. But why are they here specifically? Where Paul's clearly giving instruction on how to live humble lives as Christ's followers. Just hold that question in the back of your mind uh, for a little bit. I'll come back round. Um, first, I want to just ask if you've ever been in a situation where you've had a personal injustice against you, even if it's a small one, and then later been vindicated. And just think about, isn't that just like such a wonderful feeling <laughs> to be like, I was right the whole time? Um, even, if it's, even if it's something that really doesn't matter that much. Um, I wonder if, for example, in your family, Someone might lose something of theirs and then accuse you of having moved it or done something with that thing of theirs. Um, But then later they realise, actually, no, they lost it themselves and it was their fault. And when you were a kid, you might have uh, exacted that righteous retribution with those beautiful words, I told you so. It was you. Um, It wasn't me. Anyway... (laughs) Um, it feels good, even, even over small things. And we can fall into that danger of, of wanting to be right all the time. Uh, but many times in this life, following a Christ-like example of humility will mean facing hardship, facing misunderstanding, facing false accusation, just as the Philippians were. And we have that, maybe some of us more than others, but we all have that longing to be vindicated when we face injustices like that. I don't think it's a wrong thing to want that. But here's the most critical part. You see, Christ faced the greatest injustices of all. And he he is vindicated in these verses. But only after he humbled himself and suffered 
yet he trusted the Father the whole way through. He obeyed even to the point of death on the cross because he trusted that God would remain faithful to him. So Jesus didn't need to grasp for his own glory. He didn't need to take it upon himself to correct the injustices he faced throughout his life. He trusted in God's promises and God was faithful. Jesus was raised. He is exalted to the highest place, given the name above every name. And soon we know every knee will bow to him and acknowledge him as Lord. And all this to the glory of God the Father. In both humility and exaltation, Jesus shows God is trustworthy. And so, we also can trust that God will be faithful to His promises to us. His promises to right every wrong. What we need to remember now is that we know Jesus as Lord, we live for Him. So when we suffer on his behalf, his vindication is our vindication. We join in exalting him as a people who follow and serve and honour him and will one day share in the future glory that God has promised to all who are in Christ. Now, just don't misunderstand me here. Um, As Christians, we should be concerned with injustices in the world and respond to those accordingly. But in this context, we're talking about on a personal level, the way we, live, we are to live lives of humility in service to others and not to seek our own glory. That's the context. And it's because we don't need to seek personal vindication in this life. We can trust in God's faithfulness to His promises, the promises of a future glory. But even more than that, even more than that, just as we see in both Jesus' humility and exaltation, that God is glorified. There we see one more example of how we're to follow Jesus' humility. The way He sought God's glory before His own. We see at the end of verse 11. And so, because we too can trust in God, because of what He's done, we too can seek His glory before our own We see God alone as worthy of all worship, all honour and all praise. So we can endure hardships and seek to live humbly as Christ did. Um, Yes, because we can trust in God's promises to us of a future glory, but even more than that, because ultimately we know that in all things, God our Father will be glorified. And the man who we follow, Jesus, our King, is Lord of all. Let's pray.